Hello there, space fans and members of the spaceflight community. This is Robin C. Mangle, Chief of Content of Supercluster. Thanks for joining us this week. I know it's been a couple of weeks. I've been in the Middle East. The U.S. government dispatched me to search for Jewish space lasers, but all I found was shawarma, really good shawarma. I'm back this week, and I've got two good friends, Chris Gebhardt and Swapna Krishna, space journalists and Star Trek aficionados and experts, in my opinion. I've got them on the show today to talk about Picard, which I know I haven't been very into enthusiastic about the new batch of Star Trek shows, but uh, I'm very excited about this one. I've watched the first two episodes of season three, and I'm really, really loving it. Partially nostalgia. It's also got really good writing and really good production quality. I think that this new batch of Star Trek has really grown into something special, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. So I've got Swapna and Chris on the show today to unpack these first two episodes. There will be spoilers. We will be discussing the old TNG and a couple of those movies. Swapna has uh, been covering the show for Vulture. So she has seen six episodes, which Chris and I are extremely jealous of. She's going to pretend that she hasn't seen four of the episodes to help us feel better and not spoil the show. Welcome, Swapna. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. I think we talked about TNG reunion the last time we had you both on the podcast. It must have been a year ago. I first I want to start with your reactions to that concept of we're bringing this back. There's going to be a revival with the TNG cast. And Swapna, I'm going to start with you because I know you've been following this stuff daily and you're really plugged into that world. So you probably found out before all of us. So what was your initial reaction Oh my God. I mean, I think this is what a lot of us wanted when they first announced Picard, Mm -hmm. basically just like TNG season eight and Picard season one and two. I think I liked them better than most people just because I think I came from a unique place where I basically got to binge both seasons because, Mm -hmm. uh, for, because of screeners. And I think I just enjoyed them because of that more than a lot of people. But that being said, like I found out definitely earlier than it was publicly announced. And like, I, I mean, I mean, I'll be honest. I lost my shit when I found out. (laughs) Like I was just like, Oh my God. And and then my first reaction was, Oh great. We're going to get it for full another season. And then cameos in the last episode. And that's even what I thought when it was announced. And then I asked, Terry, the showrunner, uh, how excited should I be? Are these just cameos? He's like, no, this is the TNG season eight I wanted. Mm-hmm. And Terry is one of those who grew up on Next Gen the way we did. And right. um, I think people who grew up on the original series have a different view of Trek and what they want from Trek than people who grew up on kind of the 90s series. Right. So knowing that from Terry, I started getting really excited when he told me that. He was a PA on Voyager Right? Or one of those Enterprise. Oh my God. I love that too. That's incredible. Now, Chris, ever since I've known you, you know, you and I have been working at the spaceport many years Uh now. You and I have always been throwing TNG references back and forth (laughs) to each other at the spaceport. And I know you've been a huge fan of that show and the other shows. What was your first reaction to reading the news? that your old favorites might be coming back. So to preface this, I was here in Florida at a hotel with a with a friend working the Axiom mission a year ago when this was released um, publicly. And from what I am told of my reaction, it was a it was the biggest gasp they had ever heard. And then <laughs> tears, um, <laughs> as, and, and no, it really was instant tears and swap. you know, you really hit the, the nail on the head for me. Like this was the culmination of what I had wanted 
it was, but, but I think it's come about in the way that I wanted to, like, I didn't really want TNG season eight right up front with Picard. Right. I, th- I think it was very important for us to understand where he was at that point, understand the key elements they explored, especially in season two with his psyche and Q and his past. And I think that all sets the stage quite well for really understanding Picard as a character who, you know, we we look up to him as this role model, but like so many of our role models, what's the truth of the man behind that myth? Right. And I thought it was a very fascinating exploration of the Picard character in that moment of, yes, he is a leader, but he's someone who actually prefers to be alone. Right. And... I don't think without that exploration in the first two seasons, which like Sopta, I really enjoyed the first two seasons of Picard more than than others did. And I don't think without them that this season would be possible from the emotional standpoint of where they of where we're re-meeting all of these characters right now. Swapna, when you found out that this was going down for season three. Did you go back and watch the TNG finale or had you seen it recently? And were you worried about the continuity and the canon that was established by that finale in terms of going forward? Yes, absolutely. I went back and watched like it was it's really funny. Like if you like go through I don't think I've deleted them. I used to delete my tweets regularly. I haven't in a while. But if you go through, like you can you can tell when I found out when I saw the trailer before, you know, when I saw the trailer for a season before anybody else, when I heard the announcement, because I'll just tweet like, oh, for no reason, I'm rewatching the series <laughs> finale of Voyager Endgame, which is Love the last that. time we saw the Borg. Right. Like, stuff like that. Like, I, I'll, I'll absolutely. So, yeah, no, I absolutely have gone back. Since Picard was announced, I rewatched all of TNG, but like. Mm-hmm. Wow, I have, that's, I have a, gone, that's quite an investment. I just want oh, to yeah. say, yeah. Um, I did yeah. it. Yeah, I did it once this was announced. Once season three was announced, I went back and watched all of it. But I have a good friend who I do a podcast with called Daisy Geek Girls, and she is not. She grew up on Next Gen the way a lot of people did, but like was never like it was never her thing. But she's mm-hmm. familiar with the characters, knows, and so we've been going back. I've been going back with her and like having her watch like four or five episodes before every season based on what we think will be in this season. And that's been a super interesting exercise to like watch, just be like, okay, we think this season, like season two, we think it's going to deal with Q. It's going to deal with Picard's past. So let's watch these episodes. And then seeing her kind of experience that that's been fascinating to me. So you weren't too worried about them affecting that finale with this new continuity. No, I'm not a canon person. I, I prefer I'm fine with them retconning if it tells a good story. And I think, I I think there should be a balance. Like, I don't think they should absolutely like some shows, like, especially like discovery has been a little bit bad about like, just like being like, it doesn't matter. You know, I think that's a little extreme for me, but I don't mind them, you know, bending canon to still have the flexibility to tell a good story. I don't want them in a corner and not be able to engage in fresh creative storytelling because they're so, beholden to canon. So I wasn't too worried. That being said, there were some key things for me that I wanted to see with this season three. Like, you know, one of the big, like one of the, there's a few big, big things that never were really resolved or dealt with. And one of those was Jean-Luc and Beverly. I really thought season two was going to 
delve into yes. that yeah. with the stargazer with you know with all you know with all of that and they didn't and then we got this announcement it was like oh yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah. now uh chris same question you said that you did go back and rewatch uh tng what were your concerns you know after we had this finale many years ago and now we were continuing forward did you have concerns about the canon what were there any specific things you were worried about yeah, this is one of those moments having Swapna and I on a podcast together about <laughs> Star Trek. We do we just sort of repeat each other. Yeah. I'm very much with Swapna in this. Like canon is important, mm-hmm. but you've got to be able to be a little bit flexible. Like we can't yeah. just ignore the entire Enterprise series, right? Enterprise occurred. Um, yes. it, it's fact. But, you know, like if you want to bend a few little things here and there, I don't really see the the, the problem with that, it, especially since Star Trek is so interesting when you talk about canon and fans because it's not like we don't as fans just ignore the vast majority of season one of next generation. We do. (laughs) The entire (laughs) franchise ignores the fifth movie. Like Star Trek has always been ready to like tweak the canon where it needs it. I wasn't actually concerned that anything in this new season would take away from the impact of the actual round one series finale, all good things. But what I was actually really happy with in the announcement that that all seven of them were coming back is that it meant that Nemesis was not the end. Right. And actually, part of my rewatch and swap time, I'm interested if you did this too, my rewatch included the four next-gen movies. And when I got to Nemesis this time round, having seasons one and two of Picard already out, Nemesis hits really differently when it's not the end. Right. But mm-hmm. Like the beginning of the end chapter for them. And it, it it's worth it if you weren't a real fan of Nemesis but didn't outright hate the movie to go back and watch it now, knowing the other things that we know, because I think it definitely hits me a bit. So, it, so it's more digestible now because it's not this like bookend for this. Yeah, because like you, you like, okay, spoiler alert, that's 20 years old. Data dies in Nemesis, right. um, you know, um, and and now that that's not the actual goodbye to Data, mm-hmm. that movie works in ways it doesn't work as an ending. Mm-hmm. Swapna, thoughts on uh, the movies? And did you try and go back and watch any of the TNG movies? Yeah, no, and I 100% agree with Chris. Again, he and I are like twins when it comes to Star Trek opinions. Like, yeah, no, I think the movies have their ups and downs. I will say I have, re- like, I'm, I'm really glad I revisited Generations before watching this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because a lot, especially of episode two, I constantly had that movie running through my head. Like, quotes from that movie, Time is the Fire in Which We Burn. Just like... A lot of the movie is middling, but there are some really, really good character moments in that movie, especially for Picard. And I, I found myself, I was really glad I rewatched the movies. I wasn't going to, but then I went ahead and did it after season two made clear we were bringing back Borg Queen. I was like, Mm -hmm. all right got to revisit that right and i was like okay let me just do all four movies and i'm glad i did and i totally agree with you on nemesis chris it is a just a real downer of a it's of a, dark yeah, yeah it's, it's dark now i i'm a sucker for crossovers so generations has always been like good to me yeah. for that reason i have not revisited nemesis but i'm going to tonight because not also because of the show that we're watching but Tom Hardy mentioned it in an interview a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it was you, wasn't it? I and am, I'm immensely surprised he still talks about that. No, and like, like that. Good things to say about his experience. 
on it. Yeah, but. and it's just like it's so crazy to go back and and think that wow, that was Tom Hardy who was like this big megastar today. I, I hope I'm going to go in with when I rewatch Nemesis tonight with an open mind and this new framing that you mentioned, Chris. And I'll let you guys know if I still have my same opinions about it. But I remember not liking it for many, many years because it's not the way I saw that crew. It's not the mm-hmm. way I saw that story. And films will always be different from television. And I think that Star Trek is such a prime example of a franchise that's starkly different when you're watching a film and when we're watching an episodic TV show. It's somewhat split the fans, in my opinion. There's people who are super fans of the movies, people who are fans of the show, different series. Chris, you mentioned Enterprise. Yeah, another one that hits differently. Yeah, so like, (laughs) this is where like, I'm in my own little, like, I liked Enterprise. And one of the reasons is I love Scott Bakula. I was a Quantum Leap fan. So to have him as in the captain's chair and to see the early days, we're going to get to this. But in episode, was it episode one where Riker? uh, Okay, it's in episode one. We can start getting into this episode one of season three. They Mm -hmm. mentioned this parade through Mm -hmm. space to mark 250 years of exploration. and, And doesn't that 250 years go back to Archer's time? Is that yes. it, it okay. dates, like a couple of my friends of mine were trying to figure this out? It dates mm-hmm. I think, from the launch of the NXO Enterprise NXO one. Wow. Okay. So they're so they're not ignoring Enterprise. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> and okay. let's. Oh my God! I need yeah. to talk about the Enterprise finale, which stars you know who. Okay. Oh God, so, let's not. Okay, so. <laughs> So it's really funny because, hey, there's been a real renaissance for Enterprise the same way like the next generation yes. that picked up like, the Star Wars prequels have really, yes. you know, there's it's it's the same thing is happening with Enterprise. And I think it's fascinating because it Enterprise is. is not my favorite. And I think it's really interesting the way like people really love Enterprise these days. And a friend of mine has a theory that Scott Pacula is going to show up as a hologram in episode 10 of Picard. That so would be that. cool. That would be cool, and I would freak out and cry if that happens. Because they, they, they've made a concerted point, too, like in Discovery. Like, Discovery has made many mentions of Enterprise and mm-hmm. Archer. And season two of Picard even had a model of the NX-01 that would have featured in the fifth season had Enterprise gotten renewed and they would have redone the ship in, mm-hmm. in that way to make it look a little bit more like the Constitution class Enterprise, right. the original and so there's been a lot of references to Enterprise, which makes me wonder, sort of like, you know, what you guys were saying, like, who's coming back? How right. are we going to do this? Because the weird thing with Enterprise, just to finish that thought, is it's the only one in the Star Trek series that never got an ending. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was getting to here. The end, the last episode of Enterprise is an, is aboard Riker's ship where he's the captain and they're investigating the time of Archer and it's flashbacks. Right? Or something like that? Yeah. It's holodeck. I think it takes place during the Pegasus episode of Next Gen, actually. Okay, yes, you're right. Except Riker does not look like he does. And that was one really awkward. Because it's like, no, Riker looks 30 pounds heavier than he does in the Pegasus episode. And it was like, it breaks my brain, (laughs) you know? Well, and I think this was part of the problem with Enterprise that that the newer series are are grappling with to an extent. But I think Terry Metalis has really hit. Um, Mm -hmm. and and figured out in the new era is, you know, Enterprise really lacked a directional voice Mm -hmm. and a directional theme. And and you can kind of see that with some of the newer ones, but I I, to bring this sort of back to Picard, one thing that I've really been impressed with with, by Terry Metalis is 
he definitely understands what the fans want because he is a fan. He's a fan. He can tell. He's writing what he wants to see and it's translating really well. I love that. But he has delivered the vision and the that execution mode for the writing staff for Picard in a way that I'm still kind of waiting to see gel with the other live action series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think he, um, he gets it and he, he, like when my first Vulture recap, I kind of focused a little bit on, because the question that everybody's been asking is, is this just nostalgia? Like, is it, good or is it fan service and i'm like why can't it be both it's both because it is it's absolutely nostalgia it's absolutely fan service but why can't it also be good storytelling while doing those things and i i would argue it is it's a new adventure it feels fresh like it's not you know i do think you can have both and i think this is like he's threading the needle so far having a balance of both is a good show and i think that nostalgia is intertwined into every you know, franchise that we have right now. It's like Star Wars, Marvel, DC. It's like, there's a foundation of nostalgia there. And I think with Star Trek in general, Star Trek is about the future and we're the past in Star Trek. And there's always that like foundation of nostalgia about the old space program. I mean, in TNG, they find part of a NASA shuttle. They find, you know what I mean? There's nostalgia whether it's for themselves or not, wasn't the discovery that mentioned Elon and like, there's there's like a foundation of nostalgia apart from its own canon that's been built in to this franchise. And it's okay to continue that, I think. So there's one scene in particular from the first two episodes that really encapsulates that fan service versus good storytelling and the connection there for me. And it's from the, the second episode. And it is the scene when Riker brings Beverly to the bridge and Picard looks at her and it's about a 20-second moment where Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden are literally just looking at each other. Yeah, I got teary-eyed. I cried my eyes out because, A, there was a bit of fan service to that because we all remember the kiss from All Good Things um, right. and, and, and everything. That moment of wanting that relationship and finally getting it, but in the way that we really didn't expect it. And to me, it encapsulated, this is where the merger, that was the fan service side, but the, the good story was Terry Metalis really realizing, you know, it is not just Patrick Stewart who has the acting chops in this cast to pull off these scenes with material they were just never given to do right. in the movies or that. And Gates, more than anyone right now, is proving how deserving this cast is of the material. And if the first two episodes and what we're getting and the way these episodes are written are any indication of what's actually coming with Worf, LaForge, and Troy, who are the three we really haven't seen yet. Yes, Worf features in the second episode, which is a great moment seeing Worf again. But to me, it really has been Beverly so far. When that moment happened in the second episode, I I got teary-eyed. I was, I don't even know why. I was just like, why am I, you know, experiencing like this? And it's because all of that came flooding back. And you, you mentioned, you know, LaForge Swapno. When you tell us about, I've always seen the actor that plays LaForge tweet at you and I get super jealous. But um, <laughs> his actual daughter plays mm-hmm. his daughter. In no. The no. Okay. okay. So I'm confused Sydney, about this. <laughs> yeah. Sydney, who we've seen, met, is played by, I can't remember the actress's name, but it is okay. not his daughter. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Micah, <laughs> Mika, Mika, I'm not sure if it's Micah is, or Mika. Is that Mika or Ashley who plays Sydney? 
Ashley. Mika okay. is, she'll show up. She'll show up. Okay. She hasn't shown up yet. Mika has not shown up yet. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say anything else because I have yeah. seen the episode, but yeah. it is, all I can say is that it gets, like, what is shocking to me is it gets even better from here. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. So yeah, Sydney- like, the thing is, I think the thing, my thing with Picard season one and two is they both started off so strong mm-hmm. and they got messy, whether it was, it like, did. in episode one, it was clear they just didn't have enough time to tell these kind of two A-plot stories. So they both kind of kind of muddled and then in season two it was just like it started off really strong and then just kind of it was clear like they had these actors under contract and didn't have much to do with them and like they were trying to tell a different story you know it was it kind of it got messy again and so I was really worried with like the first couple of episodes are strong is it going to stay strong but they gave the they gave us six episodes and I think it's because they knew that they had a winner here and I, I, I agree that for me, when we meet Ensign LaForge, Sydney LaForge, I remember the finale of TNG where LaForge oh. is visiting Picard mm-hmm. on his winery or whatever. And he mentions that he has a daughter named Sydney. And then Picard forgets the name immediately, which mm-hmm. is really funny in that episode. So the interaction between Sydney LaForge and Riker, that was me seeing Riker again for the first time. Because he immediately starts roasting her mm-hmm. about crashing a shuttle twice. And that's Riker to me. And yeah. that was a really great interaction. And obviously, we're being introduced to Sydney LaForge, Nepo baby, as I call her now. <laughs> <laughs> but what are you guys' reactions to having a daughter of a, of a main character on the show and back in the grind of Starfleet? I appreciate it. And I, and I appreciate the thought that Terry and the team clearly had on this to place Sydney in a uniform that's red, which was LaForge's first uniform color in season right. one. Uh, LaForge was a bridge officer in season one. So having his daughter at the helm as he was in season one is, is a wonderful small little nod to where Jordy's character actually began. I picked up on something with the title of the first episode being next generation and everyone obviously the nod to the next generation, but we got Crusher and Picard's son. We got LaForge's son. We got Rafi, who we now have the confirmation from episode two is working undercover with Worf in Worf, some way, right. you know, this whole sort of, and the reference to Deanna and, and Kestra in season in, in episode one from Riker, this is sort of about the next generation of the next generation. Right. right. And, to that point, one character who I'm really interested to see where she is at the end of the season is someone we haven't touched on yet. And that's Jerry Ryan right. um, and Seven of Nine, because yes, fans wanted her back, but there's also that possibility of, you know, like Jerry Ryan is very possible could headline her own series here. Oh, yeah. I have a theory. Yeah, I have a theory. And service. Yeah. And I have a theory too. And I want to see if it's the same. Okay. You, you, you go first. You go okay. first. I kind of want to, I, I kind of would be very happy if the season ends with Seven of Nine as the captain of the Enterprise G. That's, my, that's exactly my theory, that too, because be there, crazy. Was, there was an Instagram post about how the Enterprise F is having its like last mission yes. or whatever during this frontier weeks, which means that the next Enterprise is going to get commissioned. And yes, that is exactly my theory. I think, I think there is a hope that if this season does well, that they can that that i don't know yeah i don't know a lot about what's going on behind the scenes but i know what i do know is that if this season does well we'll get more 
we will probably get more of this legacy stuff. Uh-huh. I think there is a like there's a divide. My my theory is there's a divide on internally on like whether fans want more of the new stuff or more legacy stuff. And I think this is kind of a test case this season, yeah. um, which is why I'm like everybody please watch. Oh my god. How do you guys feel about her captain? Very well acted um character actor and his name slips my mind. He was Todd Stashwick. Yeah, Todd. And he was in 12 Monkeys. A lot of the cast from 12 Monkeys is in the show. And uh, obviously the show. show Terry, exactly. He was a showrunner. Very good actor. Really plays a guy you want to hate. And love. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like by the end of the second episode, I'm like, oh, I'm on his side now. And it's like, uh, what do you guys think? He's wrong. He's wrong. Yeah, that's the thing. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. And he's like, okay. The way I saw his character was a guy who's watching Star Trek. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, he's, he's, watching, he's watching Star Trek and he's like calling out the plot things that shouldn't be like good and nice. It's like, wait, you guys are responsible. Wait, you guys are irresponsible. Wait, you guys are just like cowboys breaking the rules. And it's just like a meta commentary on Star Trek and these characters it, through it the captain. And I really, really like that. It is. And to me, like, the, the, to me, it's it's a there's it's a moment. It's not even a scene. It's one like one second moment in the right. second episode when Picard goes, "He's my son," mm-hmm. and that yeah. is the moment that switches. It's like, okay, yeah. he's your son. We're, We're in. Question. You yeah. can see his like Roy Kent moment though, where he's just like, "Fuck." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> Let's do it. It was so good. You know that that actor has grown so much because he's been a character actor for many years. He's been in many many different television shows, and to see him like take a, a leading role in the show it's really great he's acting the hell out of it Let, you know i'm looking for i hope he doesn't don't spoil it swap him. i hope I he doesn't not, die i will not i will not come episode. after I'm me still, like building him up the cast in this season is really really fantastic and he's a real standout how do you guys feel about them using seven of nine's human name is oh. that starfleet transitioning like you said into okay these former borg people have to work here now but we have to use their human names or is it the captain just hating Borg? Cause I know it was his decision that she has to use her old human name. It's a fascinating exploration and one that I honestly wasn't expecting of dead naming someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally right. agree there. Yeah. Yeah. I have been intrigued by it in, in episodes one and two. I, I want to see where it goes. Cause it strikes me as more of a Shaw specific thing. Not it does. Yeah. Star yeah. Trek thing. And this is actually honestly where my mind started playing out. Where does seven end the season? Mm-hmm. And, and that's when I, when I was thinking about the dead naming thing, that's, that's when I really hit on captain of the enterprise G because that would be one heck of a commentary in the universe itself. But also like when you explore it from the Starfleet perspective of like, you literally put someone who used to literally was the face of the enemy of right. you as the captain of the flagship using her Borg designation of seven of nine, that would really be something. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm not really sure where to think of the name thing just yet. Cause Obviously, we haven't really seen it play to its conclusion. Swapna? Yeah, I think the name thing I think is really interesting because I think for a, for a couple of things, it immediately makes you like dislike Captain Shaw, which I think is it's a very effective way to immediately just be like, oh, um, which I think it, you needed to do. I think you needed to start from a place of dislike with him and then he grows on you. I think that's really I think it's really well done. I will not comment on the other part because 
I just cannot talk about it without spoiling things so uh but no i think that was really effective i think a lot of the i I think in some ways previous seasons you knew that seven of nine was an amazing character but did not know what to do with her and i think yes that moment also from the bat like off right off the bat you're like oh terry knows what to do with her and like he's doing it very well i love okay so as you know i'm not as plugged into this canon but i thought her character's transition into the show has been pretty good and you know, we talk about her leading, uh, being sitting in the captain's chair for an enterprise. Uh, you know, the next enterprise. When I think about the last few seasons of Voyager and the marketing behind that show and how it ended, oh. she was really put up front as the main character mm-hmm. for. Oh, she was. You know, for quite a while. So I do think that she could carry a Star Trek show on her own and be the sitting in the captain's chair. I would love to see that. I hope that your theories are sound on that. One moment I wanted to talk about, and I'll ask you guys opinions on this. One time I got teary-eyed about this show was like not even watching the show. I was watching The View. And Patrick Stewart was on, and he he looked at Whoopi. Whoopi Goldberg's one of my favorite actresses in life. I love her. I love all her movies and all her TV shows. And he asked her on the show, I'm officially asking you to return for season three. (laughs) And I like almost had a breakdown. Because I was like, am I going to see this character that I love again? Like, I don't know. Like, is she did is she coming back? Is that a spoiler or not? Is do we know if? Um, I don't think we know. Like, okay, I don't we think. Don't know. Okay. And they've been very tight lipped. Terry has made it clear we're going to see legacy characters mm. besides the main TNG cast, right. but not who we're going to see. And right. like, I'll be honest. Like, there aren't there weren't a ton of extra, but like you know, the first six episodes are really just. Right. That's still act one and two. Like yeah. that's that's a lot of setups. So we'll see. Yeah. So pretending you don't know who's coming. Like, and Chris, is there a character that you are like, I hope pops up and I hope they do it right? There are three. Okay. Based on so and I ordered these based on what Terry Metalis has told us and, and sort of nixed, but in that nixing way that maybe it's not maybe he's building suspense, you know. The one I really want to see is Miles Edward O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you can do a send off to the next generation cast without having O'Brien be there. Very true. Very true. Only, only one aside from the regulars who was in the premiere and the finale of Next Generation as well uh, before going to DS9. So I, I think O'Brien is is very high on my list to see. Now, this is where I base it off, solely off of the dialogue I have heard so far in episodes one and two. They keep talking about the people that Vatic sends after them mm-hmm. are never the same. Mm. They're always different, different faces, different this. And I have a really strong feeling based on that, that there is something with the Dominion coming here. Oh, no. Don't bring the Dominion. I'm going to have PTSD. And to that regard, I would really love to see Kira again. Yeah. When I saw that Bajoran on the, you know, as part of the deck, I, I was like, I'm, I'm always happy to see Bajorans in Starfleet. And obviously that's because of Kira. Swatna, who are you from any team, you know, <laughs> from any Star Trek show, is there someone that's like, what are they up to? What, yeah. you know, who is this person that like, you know, I mean, now, and you know, who, who's that person for you? To be fair, it's everybody. I want to know what everybody is right. doing now, yeah. to <laughs> be fair. But if I have to narrow it down, I agree with Chris and that I want to see the people who are recurring on Next Gen. Mm-hmm. So, Miles, Rolaren, like the people oh, yeah. who I would love, like I would love to see Admiral Janeway. Oh. live action like that would mean a lot but 
and if, probably if, the easiest one to affect since they still have her right yes, now. Yes, right. exactly. Is she an admiral right now? And, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah she's awesome. an admiral. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I would like to see, I would like to just basically see, I would love to see the whole cast interview or uh, interacting with Guinan again, not just Picard. Like, right. Yeah. The, the characters that were recurring characters on next gen i just really want to see them all interact again we need like, like an I avengers said, game for all the star trek characters to just come together and I know, see them again i know um, i will also say data i know a lot of people don't want to see brent spiner play data again because his send off in season one was so good mm-hmm. and i know that they've told us that Brent Spiner is playing lore in lore, this right, right. season. I didn't read that. Yeah. I yeah. would still like to see data even just for like a few seconds, a few minutes. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, Swapna kind of going with that, because this is where the second part of my answer comes in is we know we have a line from Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden last year that they did revisit the Enterprise D at one point. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. And that makes me think potentially holodeck, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but with CGI and, and AI, you know, now it, that will be very interesting to see how they affect it. And to that point there, that's when I sort of hit, like, I wonder if that's how we see Tasha. Oh, yes. Oh, Tasha. Yep. She's another one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because as much as I really yeah. hope that Terry is lying to us and that Sila does feature in this season in some way, he doesn't seem like the type of showrunner that would outright, lie oh i think right. he would absolutely outright lie i don't blame showrunners these days for misleading oh, because yeah. the youtube yeah. culture of spoilers is it's really taking away from the magic of a lot of our favorite mm-hmm. franchises and i appreciate when a filmmaker goes above and beyond to like mislead us temporarily and then surprise us movies and yeah. television shows the good ones are surprising. They, they give you that feeling. And when we live in this culture of content where there's spoil, like, you know, spoilers are just barraging us on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, wherever. So I appreciate a, a showrunner who tries to hide things mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. to the best they can. I, I love what I'm seeing so far. And, you know, I, I haven't gotten anything spoiled about Picard yet. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. I want to talk a little bit about. So this is going to be the last season of Picard, right, Swapna? Is yes. This, is yep. this season it? three and is it. Maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but I'm going to ask both of you and Swapna you first. We're, like, what's the next live action? Like, where do they go from here after Picard? Like, because obviously people love the nostalgia. We all love nostalgia. We all love bringing back these old characters. But I'm starting to see like the theme I'm getting with the show. And Chrissy mentioned that like the next next generation. This might be a passing of the torch. This might be a a final hurrah for a lot of these characters. But where does the Star Trek canon and go from here, Swapna? Like, where does it? Like, where do you think it could go from here? I I will. So what I will say is, I hope we get more twenty fifth century stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Discovery has jumped forward to I think the thirty first century and oh, so Lord. we've we've seen a lot in like the what 23rd century probably in the mm-hmm. 31st century but like i don't know for me TS, tng ds9 voyager growing up on these series 24th 25th century is where my heart is and okay. i don't want to yeah. be like oh 31st century that's not star trek but it's a, just a very different tone it's a very different yeah. you know it's it's dystopian right yeah Almost it is a bit dystopian yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And I just really hope they continue exploring this. I want to see like where what are the Klingons doing? Like right. well, I, I know we down finally. Yeah, <laughs> like Martok's still the Chancellor. We know yeah. that. I'm like I'm glad to know that. But like otherwise, like what what are the Klingons doing? What are the Cardassians doing? What right. are the Bajorans the doing? The, 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 right. the, this, this is the part where like yeah. my, my background and and, and and not not like my personal background, not just Star Trek. A major cataclysm happened with the Romulan Empire, right? And I mean, Picard season one kind of barely touched on it, mm-hmm. but like an entire race lost yeah. a planet. What happened to the Remans? Also, no one has mentioned them since mm-hmm. the collapse of Romulus. I'm with you, Swapna. Like, yeah, I, I, my only caveat to that is I really personally wouldn't mind an Enterprise C series. Oh, yes, yes. Which, like, Rachel like, Garrett was, yes, that was the that first mention of her since yesterday's Enterprise, right? I don't think we've yes. they've mentioned her at all. That was honestly from the first episode of the season. That was the moment where I literally yelled, holy shit, at yes. the television screen. Like, yeah, that was not uh, totally unexpected. Okay, I have a, a weird question for both of you. Maybe you guys have the same answer. But when did Beverly and Picard conceive this con man of a child after insurrection okay after nemesis i would even think nemesis i think yeah Yeah. after nemesis and and i think that there's been a little so maybe you can help me out because maybe this is impressed material somewhere but there seems to be a question as to what year this is taking place in because i've seen references to both 2401 but that doesn't really make sense to me because it seems like it would invalidate the timeline of season two. And then I've also seen 2411, but that doesn't seem to jive with, with the characters ages where, where are we right now in the timeline? Do we know? I can see if I can find something, but they've been very cagey uh, generally about like years. Mm -hmm. Um, and so uh, we can assume this takes place, I think three to five years after season two, that would but make like, sense. Yeah. And I think we have a date for season one, a year date for season one, but I can't remember. I think it's 2399 for season one. or Yeah, so I would guess like, like the that, 2411 yeah. would be about accurate. Okay. Wow. Yeah, then it would be after Nemesis. That, yeah, no, because it was three, at least five, it was like five years between one and two and five, yeah. like I think it's another, because five years, because if you think about Laris was like, Zaban died like three years ago in yeah. season two. So it's got to be, have been and you assume it's like at least a year since Jabon died at that point. So, and then I know it's been a few, I think, I think it's about three years since season two. So yeah, like we need to figure, we'll, we'll get this figured out. I'm sure, I'm sure they're going to mention a star date through a a captain's log or something in an upcoming episode, which would be great. I mean, you assume that by the time he was conceived, it's not even clear, honestly, whether she was still, they were, he was, she was still serving under his command right? because if she right. was going to drop off them, if she dropped off the map, if you think about it, if she dropped off the map, the second, like you can't do that if you're like the active medical officer on a starship, you know? Right. So it's possible that it didn't even happen while they were on the enterprise together. Yeah. Okay. And speaking of medical, medical officers, I would love to see my man, Robert Picardo back as a hologram mm-hmm. at some point. I know him. He's a friend. So it's like, I would like to see just him pop in or something and maybe bring Bill Nye on with them because they're, they're besties. But there was one thing I needed to vent to both of you about that I've been holding on to for like seven months. Oh, God. Space Agency, our sister company here at Supercluster, we sponsored 
a conference here in Washington, D.C. called the uh, Beyond Earth Institute Conference. I don't remember. But we talked about, you know, settlements and things, uh, Mars, Moon, a bunch of stuff. It was great. And then there was a talk about, you know, war in space and conflicts and things like that. And everyone started saying, we want more Star Trek, not Star Wars in the future. Which sounds cool, but Robin had to leave the room because all I could think about was the Zindi. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, like, in my head, I'm like, none of you watch Star Trek. And I can't help but think, just from this phrase that we throw around in the space industry, I'm sure you guys heard it at least once. Star Trek's future is not utopian. Mm -mm. It's not. And we need Mm. to stop pretending that it is. And you hear these talking points from people who have seen a few episodes you know about you know the pop culture role of Star Trek. Star Trek in the future is very much about us now, I think. And you know, a lot of people don't share our opinions, but when I think about the warfare in Star Trek and I think about the conflicts, and more people have died in Star Trek than Star Wars, first of all. <laughs> and what do you guys think about this? I just I'm not asking you to validate me, but <laughs> am I wrong to think that the future in Star Trek is a bit violent? There's it's warfare, a lot of it. Yeah. Well, it's no, taking what we deal lot. with now as humans mm. and putting it on a galactic scale, basically. Right. Right. Which yeah. is why, like, you see, like, next gen in the, um, like, a lot of the 90s Trek, they're, instead of, they're not dealing with interracial issues amongst humans, so it's like the Klingon stand-in for people of color, like Worf's, you know, journey of not, you know, like, that's that's how it was. And it's, it's, not, it's not a good thing, you know, right. we shouldn't but like now, like a lot of what we we're talking about before with seven being dead named, I know a lot of trans people see the ex Borg transition as right. a trans yeah. allegory. That's like very, I, I know trans true. people uh, have told, which I, I didn't see it. And then they told me like, that was why a lot of people took the death of Hugh in season one oh. of card really, you know, hard because right. that's a trans, like they see the Borg as a trans allegory. And so I think it's just taking the issues that we deal with now mm-hmm. and putting it on a galactic scale. That's such a fantastic point to make, Swapna. This is part of the beauty and, and the richness of the overall Star Trek tapestry to me is you do get shows like Next Generation, which embrace the utopia aspect of the series. And then you get concurrent series like DS9 that go, yeah, but what's the cost of that utopia? Mm-hmm. You right. know, and what does it mean to maintain that? And who are the people that have to maintain that in order for the rest of you to have that cushy lifestyle and and for the first time i i I give terry a lot of credit because you could sort of see how one in seasons one and two of picard were trying to do this how season one of discovery tried to do this but they could never really find the footing but i think terry has found it here in the right now two different separate storylines that we've got going on between the titan storyline and rafi and wharf storyline on metallus prime which Kudos to Terry for naming a planet after himself. Oh, no, that's from Enterprise. Oh, it's from Enterprise? It's from Enterprise, yeah. Oh, Oh, but he was on Enterprise. Yeah, so they named it after him when he was a production assistant on Enterprise, and then he just brought it forward. I think it's hilarious. Yes, that's fantastic. (laughs) But, um, but you're seeing, right, like, you're, you're seeing, hey, you've got these people in the Titan who are living that glorified, you know, look, you want for nothing, you don't have addiction, you don't have problems aside from when the ship breaks down or the guy breaks out of the security cell, right? But on Metallus Prime, you've got, like, how probably the vast majority of people in the Federation live if you're not in Starfleet. And I think that's a... 
I think that's a very important exploration in the franchise of what it takes to maintain the utopia. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a a strong way to uh, end that point. Thank you both for being on the show. I, we've only got a couple minutes. I think you we could do like a seven-hour podcast uh, oh, yeah. together. As we all know here, we live in Star Trek, the three of us, and um, at, in the current day. And uh, you're both space journalists, some of the finest. I want to bring up two quick topics to for you guys to adjust for like a minute. Um, Swapman, I'm going to start with you because you've been doing great coverage of uh, web discoveries and web science on your TikTok, which I love. There was a recent paper in Discovery about a galaxy can you, you know, w- what was that? Yeah, it so scares it was, me. <laughs> it was NGC one four three three, and mm-hmm. I think one of the cool things about a lot of these discoveries that come out of uh, JWST is being able to like focus in on an image. Like, here's a cool image. Let's talk about what's going on, and I think that makes it very accessible because mm-hmm. talking about the science without anything to look at is. It's great, but it's like it's not as it's not it doesn't have the hook. The image is always the hook, but so right. there is an it's a very cool image of a galaxy called a safer galaxy, NGC one four three three. It's like thirty two million light years away. Basically, this galaxy doesn't have a lot of du- it doesn't have as much dust as it should. Like it's a right. mirroring image and mid infrared. That's mid infrared instrument. Mid infrared highlights gas and dust. And like if you look at this picture. It looks empty. And so it's That's a very strange. cool picture. It looks like a hub and spokes almost because there's just a lot of empty space. But it turns out it might be due to a collision from another galaxy. Oh, even weirder. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you for sharing that weirdness. We must send the next Enterprise to investigate. Agreed. Chris, update on when we will have an Enterprise. I think everyone in our community is gearing up for this first orbital starship launch yeah. this is the closest concept that we have to an enterprise it's a multi-use spacecraft passengers cargo meant to go to other worlds which is really exciting it's being developed by spacex we don't have to tell our audience this chris what are we getting into right now <laughs> the really most exciting part of, of the starship program so far it is headed toward its first orbital flight attempt as early as march so next month that is based on what Elon and SpaceX have said. No firm date just yet. And no. the FAA does have to still approve the launch license, but it mm-hmm. does appear that everything is moving in that direction. And that what SpaceX is just trying to do is dial in when when will everything truly be ready and then we'll get that date. But this flight is important for a variety of things because one, it will test the Raptor engines firing at near full thrust, not not full. They're going to go at about 90% thrust for this particular mission because there's no payload inside of Starship. It will test all 33 Raptor engines on the first stage booster. It will test the staging and the separation of the two elements of the system and then the reentry of the ship part of it as well. No payload is scheduled to be deployed on this mission and it's technically going to be suborbital even though they call it the orbital flight test. Right. But really all that means is your velocity, the, the velocity they're going to reach is basically going to be orbital velocity, but they will have shaped the orbit in a way where they don't have to fire the engines to come back in and re-enter. That's a safety feature on the first flight um, that the other flights will not replicate, but this is just the first one. And regardless, this is really important because if if it is a, if it is a success and they do it end to end it really paves the way for the artemis program and the human lunar landings a part of that and then onward to mars from there for for spacex and their internal goals so march definitely a very big month for you know i'll say it this way too the human species because if 
if Starship works or when it works, it's going to be a radical transformation. Yeah, it'll be a watershed moment. We explore our solar system. Right. And um, the Vulcans will then let us join the Federation. I really hope. That. Yes. Hopefully they're hiding behind the moon when we do it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Chris, for that update. Swapna, thank you so much for your your insights into Star Trek. We follow you on Twitter and we're following all your Star Trek coverage. I will be linking your Vulture coverage here. And Chris, I'll be linking your Twitter account. To our followers, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching Star Trek. Uh, we all love Star Trek here. I will grab these two, hopefully, at the end of the season or the beginning of the next Star Trek to have this conversation again. Let's hope we see Archer. Let's hope we see all our favorite characters. And let's hope that humanity catches up to this vision that Star Trek has put in front of us, because that is the most exciting part of all this. Thank you, guys. Thank you.